Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the second episode of Healthy Future. This podcast is an opportunity for us to reflect on the incredible transformation happening in healthcare today and looking ahead to the progress we'll see tomorrow. Today, we're going to dive into the future of healthcare legislation in our news review, explore the story behind a fascinating startup in our company spotlight, and have a conversation with someone with whom many of you are familiar, Mandy Bishop. I will be joined today by my co-host and colleague, Steve Roden. Steve is the General Manager of Healthcare Provider Pharma and Life Sciences here at Conduent. Welcome to the show, Steve. Oh, thank you, Rohan. It's a real pleasure for me to be part of the podcast. Well, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, Steve, I wanted to begin with just a bit of housekeeping. When the Healthy Future podcast launched in November 2016, you and I both worked for Xerox. Today, however, we are part of Conduent. To update our listeners, the services division of Xerox included our healthcare business and was spun off and established as a new company, Conduent, on January 3rd, 2017. Conduent is the world's largest pure play diversified business process services company. So these are exciting times ahead for us. The switch from Xerox to Conduent doesn't change the fact that we are a $2 billion healthcare company with more than 500 professional clinicians on staff. We serve clients across the full spectrum of healthcare industries, including payers, providers, employers, governments, pharma and life sciences companies. The spin-off means that we are a more agile, nimble organization, better suited to serve our customers and shareholders. For more information, I encourage listeners to check us out at conduent.com. With that, let's jump into the healthcare news review. Steve and I are going to review some of the most important recent news, specifically on the future of healthcare legislation and the Affordable Care Act. You want to get us started, Steve? Yeah, absolutely, Rohan. It's an interesting time we live in right now. The first article I'd like to discuss is Virgil Dixon at Modern Healthcare. He's commenting on the Affordable Care Act signups, which continued to outpace last year's and have currently hit 11.5 million people. And then a quote from Aviva Aaron Dine, the senior counselor at HHS, it really sticks out to me. The market's not only stable, but it's on track for growth. And all of this at a time when there are potential changes in the Affordable Care Act. There's another article I found really interesting by uh, Robert Pear in the New York Times. As Pear notes, the majority of the industry is being quiet now. They're listening for what replacements might look like so they can assess and determine how to best work with Congress to ensure a smooth transition to a replacement that protects the stability of the insurance marketplace. Steve, I, I think Robert's on the money on this one. I, I think the devil's in the detail, and so I think we'll all be waiting with weighted breath in terms of what that would look like. I wanted to discuss an article recently published by Bruce Jaspin in Forbes. He wrote about the 43-member Healthcare Transformation Task Force including some major health systems, health payers, and employers, and their mission to ensure value-based care continues to progress after the presidential inauguration of Donald Trump. Members of the group are backers of bundle payments, accountable care organizations, and patient-centered medical homes as a way to tie payment of doctors and hospitals to quality. Steve, that is very encouraging to see this kind of an initiative from private industries as well. It also aligns very well to our own North Star of outcomes focus that you keep referring to. We are lucky at Conduent to have our HR Services division. Tammy Simon is the global practice leader at Conduent HR Services, and she's incredibly well-versed with the future of healthcare legislation. We asked her to share some insights with us. 
Members of the 115th Congress have been sworn in and hit the ground running, and they immediately set the stage to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. In addition to changing landscape, we're likely to see a shift in priorities. As such, during 2017, we can expect reversal of some of President Obama's executive orders, efforts to withdraw, modify, repurpose, or delay regulations, fewer regulations issued, and diminished enforcement efforts. Repealing and replacing the ACA in whole or in part is among the highest priorities for Republicans, as well as President Trump and his incoming administration. Any replacement law would, in all likelihood, maintain some or all of the ACA insurance market reforms. For example, the ACA market reform protections like the prohibition on pre-existing conditions and coverage for children up to age 26 would likely continue. And while the timing and roadmap for any repeal and replacement of the ACA is not yet determined as of the date of this recording, the effective date of any such repeal might not be immediate. Rather, steps to dismantle the ACA provisions affected by any repeal would be delayed and gradually implemented, as will be necessary for an orderly transition from the ACA to the replacement framework, which may or may not happen at the same time. Proposals to repeal and or replace the ACA are seemingly being introduced and debated daily. Some acts would fully repeal the ACA, some would eliminate the tax exclusion for employer-paid health insurance and potentially replace it with a standard deduction available to any individual with qualifying coverage purchased through employment or otherwise. And some expand the use of health savings accounts or HSAs by allowing larger contributions, expanded expense reimbursements, and increased benefits. Some repeal the 40% deductible excise tax on high-cost plans, or the so-called Cadillac tax, that currently are scheduled to go into effect in 2020. And some repeal the individual and employer health insurance mandates. In sum, despite the likelihood for significant change, until it occurs, employers are encouraged to comply with all existing mandates. We're looking forward to continuing to bring employers the most cutting edge HR thought leadership and information so they can be smart political consumers. If you'd like to stay on top of the most current health reform employee benefit in HR news and analysis, please sign up to receive our free legislate articles from the Conduit website under the key insights section of our human resource services page. Our next segment is our company spotlight. Every day I'm amazed at how many great people and companies there are doing amazing things in healthcare. So we're doing our best to highlight as many of them as we can. Today we shine a spotlight on a company called Catalia Health. They recently participated in the MedTech Innovator competition hosted at AdvaMed 2016. According to Catalia, the most important question around medication adherence is not whether or not a patient misses a dose. Rather, what's important is why they miss the dose and what can be done to prevent it in the future. The company seeks to engage patients and provide answers to to those two very difficult questions. And they have a secret weapon that helps. The Mabu Personal Healthcare Companion is able to converse with patients at an incredibly individualized level and keep them on track with their medication regime. How are you feeling today? Like roadkill. I'm sorry to hear that. Would you like me to send a message to your team to see if there's anything they can do? Yes. 
I'm glad you were able to talk with your pharmacist and that they adjusted your medication. How are you feeling today? Better. Thanks, Patsy. It's a nice, sunny day out. Think you might go for a walk? Sure. Don't forget your medication and a bottle of water. Want me to set a reminder? Good idea. Catalia Health and Meibu are part of a growing trend in healthcare to leverage advanced robotics technology to improve outcomes. Catalia's CEO, Corey Kidd, did his graduate work at MIT and performed a controlled medical trial with Boston Medical with 45 people who wanted to sh- start dieting. One third got an early version of a robot built at MIT. A third got a computer with the same touch screen and software as was found on the robot. And the last third received a traditional paper log to record their dieting activities. Listen to Kidd talk about what happened during the trial. This is him speaking at TEDx Berlin in October of 2015. I'm not going to go into the details of the study, but I'll give you one quick anecdote before the results. And that is when I went back to pick these up after two months in people's homes, when I walked in, I could see an immediate difference. Right? First, I didn't see the paper logs. Those were stuck back in a drawer somewhere. No one really used them for more than a couple of weeks. The computers, people had used them for a few weeks, but you know, they were off in a corner somewhere as well. The robots were different, though. Not only were people still using them, they had dressed them up. They were wearing hats or scarves. One had a red feather boa around its neck. In the interviews afterwards, I found out that every single person had named their robot. We had Ingrid and Casper and Mary and all sorts of other things. Through that work, we were also looking a lot at the psychology of interaction and found that there was really a difference, really creation of a relationship between people and this robot. A key insight Kidd discovered during his graduate work was that robots have a unique ability to engage patients. Here's Kidd again. You know, one universal truth is that we as people are great at making changes and absolutely terrible at sticking with them. Right? We're not giving these to people who don't want to do something. It's I've got a new diagnosis or I'm given a new treatment. I actually want to do this. I want to get better. But life gets in the way, I get busy, I go on vacation for a week, it's hard to get back to doing something. And with any of these technologies that we've used so far, it's been really difficult to keep me engaged over a long period of time. So, you know, I've talked about a technology that can really change that, that can really start to help us engage and help us manage our own healthcare so that we can live healthier, happier, longer lives. Steve, what do you think of Catalia Health and more generally the opportunities for robotics to be used in healthcare? I'm really intrigued with the Mabu personal healthcare campaign. In many ways, I think it's similar to the kind of voice assisted advances that we're seeing at places like Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and other technology that companies have made. What I like about this very targeted approach to improving health outcomes. It gives you an ability from patients to adapt to their lifestyle. They have very specific needs. It's pretty amazing, really. I believe it could be a key to scaling, and that's one of the big challenges we have in healthcare is scaling up with personal interactions and being able to get meaningful data real-time to decision-makers. And so I see it as really important. Fantastic insights, as always, Steve. I encourage everyone to check out Catalia Health. I'm very excited to welcome Mandy Bishop to the show today. She's one of the most well-connected, highly visible leaders in our industry, and she's very vocal about her thoughts on improving healthcare. She's a great role model for others who aspire to do great things in healthcare. Welcome to Healthy Future, Mandy. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me, Rohan. It's wonderful to be here. Your latest venture is still pretty new. Can you tell our listeners a bit about Aloha Health? What's your role there and how did you get to this position? It is indeed. So Aloha Health is the um, brainchild of a number of co-founders, all of us coming from large organizations who really firmly believe in the need to address healthcare's one-size-fits-all problem, right? So we, we find that even when we're thinking in terms of populations and we understand that there's precision medicine and personalized medicine initiatives and we all pay kind of lip service to those ideas, understanding that 95% of the factors that influence someone's health or their ability to manage their health effectively happens outside the visibility of not just an individual provider, but kind of the health system as a whole. And, and understanding how to take that other 95% of the, uh, the factors and make them visible to the healthcare system and then make them actionable. So Aloha Health was born to make life actionable by creating visibility and action plans associated with all of these other influences that happen outside of a clinical setting. So things like understanding the socioeconomic situation of a diabetic patient who is insulin dependent, who may or may not have access to a refrigerator, something like that, right? This is the, these are the types of very real needs that we're addressing um, both at the individual level for individual providers, you know, provider-patient relationships, as well as thinking about population health management programs and disease management, care management, and nurse navigator programs, helping them understand kind of the broader implications of the care pathways and how they need to take these other factors into consideration to adopt meaningful and effective care pathways and engagements with their members and patients. So my role at Aloha, I am the CEO, and being the CEO of a startup, it's really fun. I, I prefer to call myself the chief evangelist. So I am the chief evangelist and co-founder of Aloha, along with Bill Bunting and Elizabeth Bunting and Andy DeLeo. We, we had begun to chat a little bit off mic about HIMSS, and I know you're looking forward to HIMSS 2017, Mandy. I am. And it's coming up right around the corner, four weeks if, I count, if my count is accurate. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what are you most excited about at this year's show? You know, at, at this year's show, there's a, a tremendous amount of change, right? We were just talking about this off mic before we got started, that change is inevitable and, and change is the one true constant in life. And I know that in 2017, our industry is about to undergo yet another kind of fundamental shift uh, from a policy perspective. You know, with the new administration coming in, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty and along with all of the anxiety that that is breeding, there's also a lot of opportunity. And so I am most excited at HIMSS to see how vendors and how providers are responding to those opportunities for, you know, and how they are gearing up for change and how agile are they, right? So it's, it's really, our, our industry is going to have to adapt or die in a number of different ways. And, and HIMSS is gonna be a great opportunity to see who is already thinking about the implications and who is already taking into consideration what the pathways could be forward uh, under various scenarios. Because right now everything is an unknown. We, we all have kind of speculation at this point about the direction that our industries are going to go. But I want to see from the vendor audience, and I also want to see from the providers and from the speakers, I want to know who's thinking about this, and I really want to hear the perspectives of, of, of both large and small innovators in the industry, like where they think that uh, the opportunity space might be. 
I like the way you're thinking about it, that, that despite the uh, the large amount of uncertainty, there's also an opportunity. Uh, there are also plenty of opportunities. And uh, given the fact that Conduent is a new company, despite the fact that we have 30 plus years of experience in healthcare, I will tell you, we are excited about our first HIMSS conference as well as Conduent. In fact, uh, we, we are excited to also have Regina Holiday of the walking gallery who will be with us painting during the conference in the in the conduit booth oh that will be wonderful she's fantastic i'm a, I'm a huge fan of regina holiday and, and i actually just got my very own uh walking gallery jacket just two weeks ago oh fabulous congratulations you must then come by and stop by at the booth with us then Oh, wonderful! I absolutely will, and I think Regina, like that, that I love that you're including Regina, including the patient's voice. You know, Regina is just an incredible patient advocate, um, and, and her story is 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 amazing. And I would encourage anyone who does not know her to to stop by and to see her paint and to hear her story. But I love that Conduent is including the patient voice in your booth, and I believe that this is. You have done this um, for a couple of years, and Conduent is a new organization, but in years past, she has been part of kind of the thought process, and I love that that is in your DNA, including the patient voice, because it's so important. You've been an expert in analytics for much of your career, and I've also read articles in which you were referred to as a fitness freak and a data geek. (laughs) Are you a believer in wearable devices and the quantified self-movement? And in your opinion, how can the healthcare industry better leverage the massive amounts of data that is available today? Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I giggled a little thinking about this question because a couple of years ago, I was on a panel at Health Data Palooza talking about patient-generated health data and talking specifically about wearables in the context of the question that, that we were answering. And one of the uh, people in the audience was writing a piece for Forbes, and they, they quoted me. I was so excited to be quoted in Forbes, but the quote was that doctors don't want your damn Fitbit data. Like that, was, that was the quote, because I I'd responded. But, you know, and, but it's true, and, and you made a good point, thinking about the data itself is not valuable. The data itself, if you're just, if I'm, if I'm going to wear my Fitbit, and I am going to send endless streams of device data, activity data to my doctor, that is going to be meaningless. They don't have an opportunity to parse that. I mean, it's very, very, very few um, providers, let alone large organizations, are, are really going to be able to make use of that. But the insights, the thresholds, the ability to identify patterns for an individual from an activity standpoint, and then being able to identify outliers in those patterns, and then to trigger notifications, whether it's directly for a provider or for a caregiver, or you know, creating peer-to-peer networks, both for motivation. You know, if you think about if you're part of a walking group, there's a lot of you know, if you, if corporate wellness programs have a lot of the uh, workplace competitive uh, programs that they put on, where your step count, you know, everybody's everybody's trying to get the highest step count with with your group. Group. Um, so there's a lot of really great implications for the quantified self movement, but it all stems from making the insights actionable. So it's not that the data itself is worthwhile, it's the insights that you can drive out from that data and, and identifying the ways in which those insights can be used and could be used immediately, right? I don't want to have to do some digging to create an insight myself as a physician. I want someone's Fitbit who is on a care management program for diabetes where they have been prescribed to walk 5,000 steps a day or 10,000 steps a day. And I want to know if two days in a row they have only met 2,000 steps or 3,000 steps because there might be something going on with them. 
And likewise, you know, I want to understand if I have someone who has an eating disorder, perhaps if they have exercise anorexia and all of a sudden those people, uh, you know, would, might have, uh, a, you know, be prescribed a wearable as well. I want to understand if they are doing 30,000, 40,000 steps a day, because that is an indicator that there's a crisis situation that you know, requires an intervention. So I think there's a tremendous opportunity for quantified self movement and for the, the wearable device data. You know, I think about fitness trackers, but of course, wearable devices could be anything from, um, you know, thinking about the, the, the sports bras, right? Like um, Adidas, Adidas actually has wearable device that they implant, that they have available in sports bras to monitor all kinds of heart rate conditions and other things that are uh, specific to women's health. Um, there's, there's tremendous opportunity there. We just have to get beyond thinking about the individual data stream uh, and, and think in terms of trends and outliers and, and then the notifications and what the implications would be from those insights. The, the possibilities are certainly very exciting out there. Indeed. So, Mandy, our tradition is to close the conversation with a few rapid-fire questions. Sure. We call this section, What If Healthcare? So, first, let's see. I think you like this one. What if healthcare viewed patients as people? <laughs> then that's excellent because if healthcare viewed patients as people, then Mandy Bishop, um, Mandy Bishop, age forty, with a fifteen-year-old daughter who plays lacrosse and who travels every weekend and who drives me out of my mind crazy with her brilliance, is very different than Mandy Bishop, who might live in the same zip code, who might also be forty years old, but who is not a mother, who does not have the same type of job, who does not have the same type of, of life situation. Uh, although on paper you would treat us the same if we had if we presented with say high blood pressure, if uh, at a single reading, if you looked at the stress level and the things that were going on in my life, being a uh, the, this, the head of a startup, having you know having a, a family and undergoing these other kind of stressful situations. Uh, the implications of a single clinical reading for me might be very different than the implications of another Mandy Bishop, also 40 years old, living in a similar geography. Uh, you know, there, we are all people. We are all individuals. And until we get to the point where we can recognize the individuality and the individual nature of, of health and health management and health literacy, we're not going to be able to effectively transform healthcare delivery or the outcome for the populations or for the individual people we serve. Well put, well put. What if virtual reality starts to really catch on in healthcare? Oh, I think virtual reality, especially when I look at the, the way that's being used in hospitals, so virtual or enhanced reality, augmented reality, right, VR and AR, um, the use cases are incredible and the technology is becoming increasingly uh, cost effective, right? So there are low cost ways to use AR and VR in lieu of pain management. It's a pain management technique. Um, I think it would be amazing. I think that it is going to meet resistance for some of the best use cases from things like the pharmaceutical lobby, where thinking about you know pain management and using it as an alternative to other types of more traditionally clinical accepted um, protocols. I think we're gonna see a little bit of resistance, but the opportunity space again is tremendous. Agreed. Last question. What if healthcare continued to become increasingly digital? Well, I think the what if is actually happening. I think that it is becoming increasingly digital. I think that there's positives and negatives. I think the positive is we have the opportunity to affect innovation at scale with digital technology that we can't simply do with human being boots on the ground, right? There just simply aren't enough skilled 
clinical practitioners to have boots on the ground doing healthcare, you know, practicing healthcare delivery uh, everywhere all the time. Um, so I think that's I think that's one of the th- key themes that we're going to see in the next couple of years is the way that the digital uh, digital advancements in health and technology is going to help overcome some of the lack of care access that exists and I think is going to uh, unfortunately expand in the next couple of years. But that said, there are still a large large population segments that are averse and don't trust digital technologies um, for any reason, not just for, for healthcare reasons, but specifically for health. I think for those segments of the population, as we continue to rely more heavily on digital uh, it, it's going to reduce the effective healthcare delivery for those for those segments. Agreed. Agreed. Great responses, Mandy. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to seeing you at Hims next month. I am really looking forward to meeting you and Steve both. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, a big thank you to you, Steve Roden, my co-host today. It was great to share the microphone with you, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share today's episode with your friends and colleagues. And of course, I'd love to hear what you have thought of the episode. Find me on Twitter at Rohan K underscore health.